All right, we're back. We've been off for a little bit, a little summer loving for the uh, for the men from Austin and Los Angeles. Here with my great friend, Robert Rahil. Of course, we spent about 45 minutes talking before we actually pressed the record button to hang out with you guys. Thanks for coming back for number 10 of the Growth Vault. Or Growth Vault, that's where we're going with now. Growth Vault. Yeah, let's um, drop the V. Yeah, yeah, we're, done, yeah we're just GV, baby. So really excited to be here with my man. How you doing, brother? Dude, I'm doing doing really well. Doing really well. We just uh, launched our little awesome forever free Founders Dash. Um, so that was a, a really big labor of love. And then just ripped a, a massive essay that I think we're going to kind of digest. And mm-hmm. candidly, I need to hire you as my editor. Some of your <laughs> uh, tweaks were fantastic. You were going yeah. through it and you just hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. So uh Noted to give you comment yeah. access to the Notion doc next yeah. time. That was uh, an egregious oversight. I have yeah. fired my assistant Honestly. and I, I am on the market again for a new assistant. You don't disrespect Papa Chase like that. Yeah, yeah. 100K in screenwriting degree will uh, make you good at editing. Mm. <laughs> hey, let's go, uh, kids. So you guys, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk a little bit about Barbie, Oppenheimer, and the double feature. We're going to talk about purchasing moments and the eight different ones. And that will be kind of our core yep. topic. Standard, we're going to do our product of the week. We're going to do our little growth nugget of the week and, you know, tease you with some other stuff that we're thinking about and maybe what the next episode might be about. So, all right, Barbie. Even in the essay, you show some Barbie love on the Airbnb, like what they did. It's incredible. So I want to talk a little bit about Barbie and how well they did the marketing for it because it was ubiquitous, but not cringy, which is really hard to do. Really hard. Really close to impossible. Yeah. Like I've never, I don't remember the last time where I was like, I didn't kind of roll my eyes at seeing something everywhere after maybe three or four weeks where even I'm still seeing Barbie stuff. I'm kind of like, well, it's Barbie. Like it feels, it's like feel good. It makes people happy. The color makes people feel good. So like, what do you think the movie Barbie, fucked man? as well. Yeah, Supposedly the movie fucked as well, which also yeah. helps. Yeah. I mean, to your point, there's that Super Bowl ad that's like actually good. And then by the time you're at the end of the Super Bowl, you're like, dude, if I hear that fucking John Mellencamp song one more time, <laughs> I'm going to throw a wrench through yeah. this TV. Yeah. Uh, that's not what happened with Barbie. What I found really fascinating was the marketing budget was bigger than the production budget. Oh, yeah. So I thought that was actually really interesting. I think production was actually slight. I mean, you'll love this slated for like 100 milli, and then it came in around a buck 40 or something. <laughs> As you do, as you do, do. very on brand for Hollywood, but the marketing budget was about around a buck 50. So it's not that this was cheap, but in terms of the returns, I think it was incredible. And to your point, the ability to create a cultural moment was so interesting and something that we kind of will go into the episode as well, where all the smart brands, even if they didn't, couldn't link up in a proper collab Mm -hmm. with Barbie just rode that wave anyway. So I think that was something that was really interesting to see when yeah. you have this cultural zeitgeist get penetrated with a new phenomena, having these really savvy brands being able to gracefully integrate that and almost build these cottage product launches, yeah. if you will, around it, I thought was really magnificent. It was also pretty interesting. You know, this is your old world to see the success of two films of this magnitude has hasn't been seen in quite some time yeah. and 
candidly not the parody that they have because usually if you look at these openings that were in this range there was usually some huge um like avengers or some marvel universe or some Mm -hmm. christopher nolan dark knight or something like that where it's generating the bulk of that revenue where these were again barbie made a a decent amount more but not orders of magnitude more where i think the avengers opening was like 300 or some absurd amount um so i thought that was really really interesting and just also the dichotomy of a kid's toy essentially brought to life versus a world possibly like human history shaping event. Like I'm a huge World War II guy. Like that's yeah. my toxic trait. I love World War II documentaries. I've yeah. watched pretty much all of them. Even on YouTube, I'll go into yeah. it. And so that kind of juxtaposition is really interesting to me to have this incredibly heavy, super crazy topic, not only the loss of life, but people forget, dude, Harry Truman wasn't elected. And so like this dude was just fucking the senator from BFE. And then he had to take over the United States being in World War II. And then the other thing that I don't think is really a lot of people understand is how savage, and I don't mean this in a pejorative, but just how savage and dedicated Japanese soldiers were. Huge honor culture, the leader of Japan is not elected, essentially. This is a, a deity. This is like a, a not a human, essentially. Like, yeah. you just can't go find another emperor. Like, this is the divine power. Yeah. And so the invasion that was planned for Japan was going to be four or five times bigger than D-Day. And D-Day yeah. was absolutely massive. And so, yeah. like, I, I think people miss the scale of, like, once Germany fell and mainland Europe fell, it's like, oh, okay, we just got to deal with this island, like, it was 0% that simple. And even island hopping as we got closer to proper mainland Japan or the the island of Japan proper, tons of loss of life, really oh, gnarly dude, fighting. Dude. So it was like it, every it, single one of them was their own little front. Like they it kept was not, gnarly, it was gnarly, gnarly. very yeah. big loss of life. So to, yeah. to actually take the island was going to be something that would, would have been just incredible loss of cat. I mean, yeah. beyond catastrophe, like made yeah. D-Day look very not bad. So anyways, that was, I guess the, the, what was also fascinating was it wasn't like these things that were like peripherally and they were kind of building off each other. You couldn't think of more antithetical kind of movies, yeah. a Barbie movie and a, a, essentially a world war two documentary, but more so like a, a biopic, probably the most important man in, yeah. in world war two. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's, um, it comes back to one of our first episodes, which was great product, create their own Tam. And like yep. this movie, so like Nolan is just a, an animal unto himself. But like just let's, if yep. we're using Rotten Tomatoes as kind of a meter, Barbie got an 89, Oppenheimer got a 94. Barbie did. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Barbie did 160. Strong. Oppenheimer did, did 80. Both released the same time frame. So essentially it's a 240 opening weekend between those two films, which is a really, really incredible number given kind of the state of what movies have been. Yeah, And like the cultural moments we've talked about a lot, I think are super interesting here, which is there was Barbenheimer was a thing. People were texting, are you it's doing the Barbenheimer double pick? Right? Like we were texting in different chats about that. And so I think it's, um, it's a testament to great products really do create markets. And yeah, you need distribution. You need all these things. Let's not, let's not forget they have the studios. They have all this backing. But at the end of the day, plenty of, I mean, Black Adam had The Rock and was a DC movie and it just was flopped. 
right? They're not making a second one, which you would expect they would do that because it's the rock. It's this, it'll like, and it made 500 mils, but it wasn't good enough. And so really, really powerful stuff here. I think my learning from it is again, your job as a marketer, you know, product designer, whatever you're doing is to focus on a product that can sell itself so that when you go to sell it, it's actually exponentially easier than when you're going, you know, zero to one on something that no one really gets. People get Barbie and then they get kind of this thing and then they have the recognizable name. So they built that in like, oh, Ryan Gosling. He has the, you know, the bleach blonde hair. You're like, oh, fuck, what's Ryan Gosling doing here with bleach blonde hair? You know, like there's so much stuff. Oh, Killian Murphy? He like Tommy Shelby sitting here being Oppenheimer. Like what, what's going on? You're absolutely, I mean, like I was super excited for both of, both of the films. And so that's not even as like a, like a film lover. It's more as a a regular citizen. This is fun. This is what you want summer to be like, because, you know, obviously Indiana Jones was a huge letdown. Not the best. Yeah. Really, really, really love that. Especially when the previous ones were so iconic. Oh, dude. And then you get this, but can I riff off what you're saying? Because it'll be a perfect segue. He totally said. So that was something that I found so fascinating. And this is something that I touch on in the essay is I am, and I'm kind of paraphrasing you because you've kind of said it already, but I'm just using my own words is that I really am a staunch believer that all purchases are made in the mind Mm -hmm. and all purchases are usually made before the purchase. And so all these people, when Barbie was released, people were going to buy. Like I've already bought the ticket in my head. I just don't have the purchasing moment yet to buy it. And so this is this is very akin to essentially a product launch, but the marketing behind it was so good that you'd already made the purchase. You just haven't had the opportunity to complete the informality of you giving them money so you can get your product or in this yeah. case, your ticket. So I, I think you're absolutely right. The best products... You've already purchased them in your head. And yeah. the story has been essentially incepted into you of why you're so smart or why you need this or why it's going to make your life better or why your partner loves you more yeah. because you're getting it. And it's, uh, I think you're, you're so spot on there where it's, it's already in you yeah. and the behavior just needs to manifest. But that behavior needs an outlet. That outlet is, in marketing terms, uh, a purchasing moment. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story and then we'll go into purchasing moments. So in film school, I watched more movies than anybody. So every freaking obscure European film from the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, because I had purchased in my head knowing more about everything than everyone. Such a horrible, like lame thing to say out loud. But the idea is when you make the decision you're going to go for it and it's going to happen. So like I bought so much shit. I wasted thousands of dollars on all these obscure DVDs when people still use DVDs to go and figure out, like watch stuff. What is it like legitimately? What does it get me now? Oh yeah. I can have a fun cocktail discussion. Like, Oh, King of the cocktail, like random factoid, Chase Moseni. Who gives pontificate like, on oh, Citizen Kane better than anybody. Like, oh, <laughs> have you watched Army of Shadows from 1945, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville? Like, dude, fuck <laughs> off. Honestly, fuck off. But like, it really, well. but really, if every single purchasing moment, like you say, is made in the mind. So I'm really excited to talk about this because this really does transcend like your category or your business kind of, yes. like it's not a D to C thing. It's not a B to B thing. It's for everybody. Every it's a psychological quirk, thing. man. It is. It's, so it's the machinery it. of the mind. 
Yeah, talk to us about it. What's the what are the purchasing moments and let's di- let's dig in debate. Yeah, so the we've distilled them down to eight. So again, we won't go too deep into kind of incepting the idea. Maybe we can get that on another podcast, but ultimately the job of you as a marketer is twofold. One to implant that success story through your marketing, through your brand touch points, through all the exposure to your product, which again, I wrap under brand where I think everything is, I think brand's just an aggregation of all the touch points of your product, brand, website, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a couple frameworks that we've talked about. One is the jobs to be done framework and the too long didn't read theirs. People don't hire product or people don't buy products. They hire them to do jobs. Um, so being able to understand what that job to be done is, why that person's hiring you. And the quirk here is not every person is going to have the same job to be done. And so understanding there, there's a whole milkshake example that you guys can go get into. Clay Christensen, Bob Mesta, incredible humans. I actually got to go to uh, meet Bob Mesta, do his workshop. He's an awesome human. So the jobs to be done framework, super, super important. And then the other framework that we've touched on a little bit is that uh, fog behavioral model, which states behavior change only happens when there's motivation, ability, and a prompt all mm-hmm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So an easy way to think about that is a phone call. I get a phone call. I have the the ring. So I have the phone in my hand. So I have the ability. The ring is the prompt. And then I see it's like a spammer or somebody I don't want to talk to, an ex or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't have the motivation. So the behavior loop doesn't complete. Mm-hmm. Same thing where I'm in the shower. I know Chase is calling me. So I have the motivation to answer. I hear the phone ring. I have the prompt but I'm in the shower. I don't have my phone. So that ability piece is missing. So I don't complete the loop. So anyways, that's a super oversimplified version of it. But go check out the BJ Fogg behavior model. Super awesome. He's actually the... um, uh, James Clear was actually his protege. There's a little um, spiciness there because he kind of gracefully co-opted a lot of the Mm -hmm. topics that um, the Fogg model goes over and put it into a much more successful <laughs> marketing campaign, which again, yeah. like the sizzle usually beats the steak. We were talking yeah. about the Barbie budget yeah. marketing got more than the actual steak yeah. budget. So, yeah. okay. With all that groundwork being laid, now that you've incepted the story, you still need that. You can think of it almost as that prompt to be able to buy, to be able to generate that purchasing moment. And so, we broke it down into eight of them. So I'll go at the highest level and then we'll drill down into them. So the easiest, basically God's gift to marketers, product launches. Um, That's the easiest purchasing moment. And I'm just going to list them all and then we'll drill into them. Um, Giveaways and contests, cultural and calendar events, fake holidays, lost leaders, subscription and memberships, events, and collabs. So let's start with product launches, Chase. How do you think of product launches? And then what do you think like in terms of purchasing moments? Oh, one more thing before you start riffing is a lot of this was built off the fact that us as marketers have very little input on the ingredients we're given, but we do have the ability and freedom over the recipe, how we display it, who we display it to, and when we display it. And so that was kind of the impetus for this because very rarely will you have the ability to tell your product team or your CEO, like even the great ones will take feedback, but that's their job is to, is to make the product roadmap is to make the the product, tell you when it's going to launch, et cetera, et cetera. They'll they'll take your feedback when um, you have it. And, but idea is built on the fact that marketing's job is not product development. Yeah. So product launches are really, really fascinating. I think 
first of all, like you said, it's kind of God's gift because you can make a big hubbub, if you will, around around that that moment. I think the biggest thing I I don't think people build enough of a plan around this stuff. Like we're going to launch it. We're going to send an email. We're going to do this thing and it's going to work. And I mean, it's like kind of what I'm going to say later, but like you don't set hard deadlines against this stuff to say, hey, look, we want to essentially say we're launching something on September 1st. All right, we need to have all of our materials locked by 8.15. And then we need to start the campaign ramp from 8.16 to 9.1 to get everything moving. And a lot of people don't want to do that because like, oh, it's a lot of work. The product will sell itself. And it's like, it absolutely will not. It absolutely absolutely will not. Barbie was essentially, I mean, movies are a product launch, right? Like it is absolutely a product launch. How much time do they spend and capital do they spend making sure that you know when their product is dropping, right? They spend hundreds of millions of dollars. So we're talking about Barbie as a cultural moment that's really, really amazing. But if you just break it down, it's a product. It's a product launch. And it launched on a certain day and they marketed it for two months really hard, spending upwards of 150 to probably 200 million when we actually get into the, when they get into their filings. All said and done. uh, Later on, all said and done. And the idea is we want to give this product the best opportunity to succeed. We also know that the impact of it will be bigger than just the movie for something yes. like Barbie, because there are yeah. products, there are all these licensing agreements, et cetera, like that, you know, Warner Brothers will 100% or was Warner Brothers? I don't know who the studio was. It doesn't matter, but yeah, they're, all the plugged, they're all plugged into, right? Because they're essentially yep. giving Hasbro or whoever owns Barbie free marketing, yep. right? Yeah, but so yeah. they're going to get some cut, get some big off of that specifically. So my kind of, my framework on that is just make sure you know when things are due because you can really fuck up a product launch and then it will look super janky. Yeah, or uh, I couldn't agree with you more. The other thing too that I think is really necessary as a marketer is to know what type of resource to allocate to said product launch because what you were alluding to earlier in the show, and we actually stole this um, from Sean Ridge. I added a little bit of Rob Panache to it, but is this product a concert ticket or a beer? Are people coming to see this concert or are they going to buy a beer at the concert? If it's a concert ticket type of purchase, like, all right, mobilize the whole crew, blah, blah, blah. But if it's a beer and people are going to get at the concert and then buy that beer product, you want to be cognizant of the burnout you can get with product launches because it is oh, this dude. big, awesome event. Mm you can't really do multiple product launches unless you batch them, which uh, actually we can talk about Shopify editions, Airbnb, I feel like pioneered this where they're taking hundreds of features and essentially distilling down into these amazing things. But it's really clever because it's almost like a buckshot where they're putting all these mini product launches that wouldn't really warrant a product launch into one shell and then kaboom, they just blasted to everybody. Um, So I think that's one way to get around if you do have high product launch velocity, Yeah, launching a product every other week, you're, you're going to burn your audience out and it's really yeah. not going to move the needle. But being able to have these huge moments gets really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So a couple of people that I think have done this well, obviously, uh, Louis uh, at Carte Blanche, uh, shout out right here. I think he might be giving me a new hat. We're doing an event in Atlanta and I'm not going to be able to oh. go, but I hope he still brings my hat. Please, Louis, please. Uh, Marcus over at Minted New York. To be fair, these are both drop slash limited supply models. So 
Product launches are very important to them. You can almost think of it, to your point, Chase, as a movie launch because Mm -hmm. they have this short window to purchase. So that purchasing Mm -hmm. moment is short-lived. But because it's short-lived, that means the demand is concentrated. Because the Mm -hmm. demand is concentrated, they can buy less inventory, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So it's a bit of a business model play there. Uh, Again, the guy that I stole the the types of products from Sean at Ridge. I think they do a great job when they launch products, whether that be revamps of old products and just Mm -hmm. new styles and variants. Shopify editions, again, was I I thought they nailed it as well. Who else do you like in the space for product launches? Or is there anybody that launches products that you can really like, man, that's a great way to launch a product? Well, first of all, I really love the Buckshot example. It's funny because Shopify, you know, they're rolling the shit out across the entire year. But yep. they essentially don't tell you about it until yes. editions. So it's like they're they're stress testing all this stuff. It's already in some sort of someone's uh, someone's uh, workspace or Shopify store. They just don't know that they're unique. Who does it well? I think I'm just going back to entertainment. I don't know why this. Like I love yeah. how um, artists do for their yep. like, concerts and stuff like that. Yep. So you know Taylor Swift did this thing. She launched, then the pricing was too high. She went out against it. I'm for my fans. And like, it made people want to buy more, right? We talked about yep. this and like how much you were going to bring this up before, how much money they were making off of off of that tour. But like, for instance, Adele is not going on tour right now, but you can go see her in the nosebleeds in Caesars for like 400 bucks, right? Really? A night. Oh yeah. I didn't but it's like that. a three month, four month thing. Like she's going to turn it off yeah. and you're like, oh God, I got to get there. So I think... um Great artists who have great teams do a really, really great job of this as well. Like yes. Product, Products-wise, and there's another company called Gong, if you, you know them. They, they do a pretty good job of like creating events and moments around the things that they're yep. launching to, to build momentum around revenue teams. So I think they do quite yep. a good job of that as well. Yeah. No, yeah. I love that. Uh, another shout out, I think Simple Modern does a really good job with yep. product okay. launches because they they partner with a lot of, and we'll talk about that as another purchasing moment. But uh, yeah. Okay. Moving on from product launches, giveaways and contests. So these are, again, same, same, but different in the sense of you're, you're giving away something. So we're going to run a, a contest for whatever the best ad is or something like that. And we'll give away a free membership to Pencil for six months or something yeah. like that. So yeah. It's in that giveaway uh, contest vein is the same thing. Contests can be, I think, a little bit more interesting. So I guess I should back up. The whole genesis of this article was how do you combat seasonality? How do you flatten your revenue curve? Or I guess smooth is flattened kind of sounds like a pejorative or a negative connotation to it. But how do you smooth that revenue curve? Because most people have big peaks and valleys if you look at your revenue across a year. And so the whole point of this article was here's eight ways to lift those valleys. And then you can strategically understand when you want to actually launch that product. Because ideally, you want to launch products in really low, slow seasons, because then you're going to generate that demand versus I already have demand in Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Why am I going to launch something into the void when people are already going to buy? I don't need to generate demand. All I need to do is capture demand. So that's where um, the impetus of all this came from. And so giveaways and contests are fantastic to do, especially, uh, for example, um, in the summer, right? Where you have a lot of people traveling or away or something like that. You can think of some semblance of like, hey, um, let's do, uh, you know, if you're a supplement company or something, let's do a weight loss challenge or let's do something that 
the moving product and selling product isn't necessarily the the main point of a giveaway or contest. It's to build engagement loops and to again plant yourself in that mind so people want to purchase mm. more because they see, hey, a contest is going on or a giveaway or I participated in these things. It's essentially, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, a brand awareness play with yeah. some sales linked to it. What else would you say about giveaways or contests? What do I say about giveaways or contests? We said most of it. I think the like just the the big one to understand is if you don't do these well, this my every time I say something, do it well. You can really it can have a very degenerative feeling on your brand because giveaways yes. and contests can feel cheap. Uh, yes, and people like your audience is smarter than you think they are. So like a lot of them are like, all right, well, they're just trying to do something to get us to come in. And so I think what you want to make sure you do is when you, when you do your giveaways and contests, it's tied to your customer's expected top end outcome with your product. And so oh, that, that. That's comp- that would be kind of the one big one is it's not about you, it's about them. And so, yes, you're going you're gonna to receive the benefit of the giveaway, but like, don't think about it as a you thing. I've been part of these giveaways before years ago where it was like, oh, let's just clear inventory. And it's like, okay, but they're still giving us money so that we don't have to burn a hole in our wall, like with 3PL. So we need to do something for them that it feels unique and special that they're going to get something out of it. And so I don't know, that's, that's kind of my one big call out is just do it for them. I do. That is the biggest, bestest call out ever. And that's something that I would say there's some of these purchasing moments that you don't, I mean, always you want to have the value of the customer be first. But if there was any moment out of these purchasing moments, I would say giveaways and contests is just absolute at top of the list. If you're going to run a giveaway or a contest to generate business objectives, don't run a giveaway or contest. I mean, but if you're running at this, right? Like yes. this guy does is the best at giveaways ever. I was looking at a bunch of shit of, of his over the weekend. It's and how like, he finances everything. It's oh, crazy. dude, it's, it's incredible. But it's it's all predicated on the things that he know his he knows his audience wants, and he's being super generous, and people love how generous he is. So it's just this virtuous cycle, or you called it an engagement flywheel in the essay, right? Yep. It's this engagement yep. flywheel that goes along with it, and it just snowballs. It's the the stone yes. gathering moss as it rolls down the hill. So. Yeah, I completely agree with you, man. Great, great point. And uh, small editor's note, uh, he is now suing the people that did Beast Burger, the virtual kitchens. Really? Yeah, because they fucked up his brand. Brand is power and his brand was super valuable and he backed out of these ghost kitchens because there's it's not like a franchise where there was actually like set like, hey, you have to have this quality of food, you have to have this type Mm. of delivery time, blah, blah, blah. So people were getting really horrific meals that they paid good money for under his name and he he was not into it. So yeah. So again, giveaways and contests, they can be awesome. A really cool way to bring people into your business. They can also, you can also bring peripherally um, interested people into your business in a very non-transactional way. So um, definitely if you have that, make it awesome. The other thing is that I would say is to your point, you want to have the value of the user top of mind, but at the same time, like this isn't about liquidating inventory or like destroying your margins. This there is a business goal attached to it. It's just the first design of a contest or giveaway should not be around a business goal. It should be around um, value add or 
create an engagement flywheel that then can generate those uh, business goals. I love it, love it, love it. Um, let's see. Yeah, and Mr. Beast was a perfect example of yeah. people that really ride the lightning in terms of uh, giveaways. I mean, essentially, he's he's built a billion dollar business on giveaway arbitrage, which is yeah, yes. you know nothing 100%. short of amazing in contests. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So the next thing, this is kind of pretty straightforward. Well, one part of it is straightforward. One part is more you have to have your pulse on the trends, but cultural and calendar events. Yeah. Um, so we'll take the the latter first and then we'll attack the the former. So calendar events, again, as you're planning out your year, you want to plan out your year and quarters. Um, Shopify actually has a great page that we'll link to that essentially has all the main purchasing holidays and purchasing kind of uh, timelines like back to school, things of that nature. Um, and so just build some campaigns around that. It's really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we talk about is sometimes it's easier to ride the wave than having to create one. And so don't fight the you know, inertia of the calendar. Make yeah. it work for you and understand, hey, we can get pops here, here, and here. So that's a really easy win when you're planning your year out. Put those calendar events on. Mm-hmm. Make sure that they're um, relevant to your audience and your product and let it rip. The former is a little harder to do because it takes class, taste, and a little bit of precision. Where to your point, Chase, when you get the cultural events wrong, it can be really gross and it can be just incredibly off-putting um, and the the brand equity can take a, a massive hit. But uh, again, we've kind of hit the Barbie to death, but I thought the Barbie wave was great. And one of the examples in the essay is the um, the Barbie house where I thought um, Airbnb absolutely nailed that, the Malibu home, and you can go stay in the Barbie house. And because one, it's super culturally relevant. Two, it's a incredible product. Yeah. And three, it's not an explicit sales pitch. It's an implicit sales pitch. They're not yeah. saying go to Airbnb to get the rent the Barbie house. They're saying, hey, you can stay a night in the Malibu Barbie house. Yeah. How? Well, you rent it on Airbnb. Of course. But I'm yeah. not telling you you have to rent it on Airbnb. I'm promoting that I'm this hip, cool, awesome thing. So I think that's one of the things that great marketing teams can do is, uh, and actually shout out to my old social guy, Tommy Clark. He just read a, wrote a great thread on the McDonald's tweet that went super viral with the uh, attention, attention, the pick a pocket. Yeah. It was great. The hamburger. So yeah. uh, anyways, too long, didn't read. I think that's one of the value adds for an incredible marketing team. And it's usually a sign of an incredible marketing team when they're agile enough to spot the, the zeitgeist, see it get mm-hmm. penetrated, understand that there's a wave behind this and figure out a way if there's a way that their brand can somehow get the halo effect of what's going on. Yeah, dude. First thing, calendar, like you talked about, it's a really great way to essentially anchor yourself around what's going on throughout the year and say, okay, we're going to just try these things. And we know that these are tried and true. And like we always talk about, as much as it's not fun to build foundations, you need foundations just to kind of be very, very clear about what you can expect in terms of like whatever, if you're doing B2B, it's like lead volume is going to be this. If you're, you know, conversions are going to be great in D2C. We know that we're going to get a lot of new customers of great AOVs, for instance, with these days or like great LTVs. What I think is interesting about cultural moments though is why are we talking about Barbie so much? It's because, dude, these cultural moments that really cut through happen three times a year, maybe. It's pretty hard to generate one of these. It's pretty rare where you have something that, I've used my favorite word on this episode, ubiquitous, kind of cuts through with everybody and no one, like there's not been one person I've been, I've talked to where they were, I don't know, ashamed to go see it. 
And the last time I remember this happening, to be honest with you, like with a movie, because there's the Avatar. I mean, there's the, excuse me, there's the the Avengers style stuff. Yeah, they're all big. But Avatar was the last one I remember that like was a momentous cultural thing where like, you have to see 3D. Oh my God, it was everywhere. Obviously, I think that will end up, is going to be a bigger movie. I don't think Barbie will hit that, will hit that, but it just cut through in such a meaningful way. Kind of the same way Game of Thrones became a huge cultural moment. It's like, are you watching Game of Thrones? What house are you in? You know, and we think of these and we, we put them on a list and we're like, oh, they're so, you can find so many of these, but they're like five years apart, right? It's Harry Potter. Then it's Game of Thrones and then it's Succession. Yes. And then, you know, Sopranos and Sex and the City both started in 1998. Yeah. We're still talking about those shows. The Their water. products like Apple, Apple released the, the iPod. That is still one of those things we all talk about. The, the yeah. When he did the keynote, like, oh my God, yeah. greatest keynote of all time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I think one of the big it's ones things. is cultural, yeah, cultural moments don't happen all the time and that's okay. But you can tap into micro-cultural moments, i.e. when you figure out when something is trending, zeitgeist, and you can tap into them. And then they might have more legs once you get some signal. And so that's the big one I would say is like, you can kind of, send out salvos to see like, okay, are these things going to hit? Let's just test it before we go all in. And if they have some legs, go for it. I think the big one that people don't do is, or that happens on these situations is once you have a hit, there's not really a thoughtful strategy on how to capitalize on it. And so you're kind of just always reacting rather than yes. being proactive around what you're going to do to actually make it valuable. So well put. I, I The only thing I would add is, those microcultural moments to me are almost identical, if not like incredibly adjacent or super close to what meme marketing is. Because yeah. meme marketing is an inside joke. And to yeah. get the inside joke, you have to be on the inside. And so you're building this awesomeness of like, oh, you watch Succession and you use my product, you'll get this meme. Yeah. And so I don't think they're as powerful because... No. You're Uh-oh. not in this brainwashed state of everything Barbie, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they they can be really, to your point, impactful at the micro interaction level of like, I think, again, me marketing by itself doesn't work. But like every now and then it's really fun. And like there's studies that show in people that have inside jokes, whether it's intimate relationships or just friendly friendships, they're healthier. Because yeah. you, you're on the inside. You get it. It's an if you know, you know type of thing. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a really great point. Definitely a little harder again to monetize against yeah. versus these these cultural zeitgeist waves. But I'm mean, absolutely right. That's why it's so important to I think be able to identify it, build a marketing plan around it, and then capitalize on it. Because if yeah. not, it's gone and it's 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 not coming back for a while. Yeah. And and yeah. you know that's by design. It's very hard to get everybody on the same page. Not everybody's bitching. Yeah. Like I haven't heard any bitching about Barbie. And I know a lot of people that are anti-Barbie and there, yeah. there's just been no negativity around it. Yeah. So anyways, that's, those are, that's really great analysis there, Chase. Totally on board with it. I love it. Speaking of calendar events, yes. if I you don't it. have a calendar event, why don't you make one? Fake Dude. holidays is another really great uh, purchasing yes. moment that you can give to your clients or your brands ex- or uh, consumers. Jeez, I'm searching for my words here. Um, obviously, the biggest one here, uh, the elephant in the room, um, the behemoths out of Seattle, 
Amazon, they looked at what is their worst time of year and they identified that they're essentially doing the same exercise that we're giving you guys. Yeah. They were looking at their calendar year. They're like, hey, this is a really soft spot in demand. How can we bring this demand up? Yeah. And then some genius was like, why don't we just create a holiday? That's, yeah. I mean, essentially what Black Friday or Cyber Monday was. Is it was yeah. just at the cultural zeitgeist level where Prime Day is quasi approaching that, I guess. Um, the only thing, I, I just never get a lot of value out of Prime Day. That's not here nor there. But it, it's just challenging because you're already competing on price in Amazon yeah. where you're, you're already kind of at that really price comp- competition. But um, Prime Day is a really great example. And I think I, mean, I think I put some things in here. Yeah, they uh, did $13 billion two days on Amazon.com. Like not nothing, not nothing. No. And again, if you look at the revenue curve, I'm sure it's a way smoother now with Prime Day than it wasn't because it just oh. fell off a cliff. Dude, um, so I, no I think there's... No one's mad at $13 billion. Why are they no, <laughs> no. Again, not not nothing for a fake holiday. Yeah. One of the things too that I thought. Uh, so in the essay, I give little examples of what I think brands could do. And um, shout out to um, our friends over at Dad Gang. I believe you have a, a few pieces of gear from them. Yes, I uh, do. Really cool hats. So something they could do is obviously there's Father's Day, but that's kind of in that calendar event. But you could do like number one dad day or something yeah. like that where you 100%. can really own that audience. So yeah. that's kind of how I think of fake holidays. I think they're awesome. You can do it, have some fun with it. Um, again, it doesn't necessarily need to be this huge needle moving moment. But again, if you can boost that valley 10, 20, 30%, that's yeah. a lot of money. On top of that, you're already priming these people for when that demand really does open up and you have these more natural, easier um, purchasing moments that are already kind of self-generated by um, cultural inertia, calendar inertia, things of that nature. How do you think of fake holidays? Well, first, I think they're really interesting. I think you have to be super thoughtful about them. So like the way Amazon did it, they're like, look, people want deals. People are always looking for deals no matter what. This has to be a deal holiday. And so, yeah, most holidays have deals on them specifically. I think the big one is if you're like a smaller company or brand and you're trying to do a fake holiday, it's just understand the economics around what you're putting on sale those days and what's actually going to lead to higher LTVs long term. So it's like just back into the holiday. Like say, I want to have number one dad day. Like what hats can I give a discount on that? Like I'm not going to take a crazy hit on margin, but I know that are going to lead to new purchases because there's some products that don't essentially have routing functions to LTV. They're just one-offs. Yes. And there's some yes. that like absolutely expand horizontally across your entire product set. Yes. And so it's just making sure because you want to bring in the customers that are going to have the first the fastest repeat rate purchase, you know, repeat purchase rate for kind of like they're going to stick around the longest of your SaaS, right? They're not going to, they're going to stick around for years and years kind of thing. And so, I think that's probably my biggest one is just back into it with data and also make it so that I think this is probably the one I would say Prime Day has done incredibly well is make it feel like they're losing if they don't engage. Yeah. And so Prime Day yeah. has done this incredible, like some of them don't really do a great job. Like, oh, we're doing a holiday event. Blah, blah. And you're like, all right, I'll, I'll just buy. I don't care about 10% off. Like I'm not really in market versus... Someone feeling like you can do that with gift with purchase. You can do that with like some of the other stuff we've talked about, like giveaways or stuff that lead up to it. You want to give people some fucking FOMO with this shit. Yes. Like legitimately. And so that's kind of my big other call. It is just make sure that people know how important it is and understand like the data that supports the products that you're putting into that holiday. Love that your mind went to economics. That's, that was my 
super expensive degree <laughs> as well. Um, so I love that you bring that up. And I think that's a really big point is Amazon's brand is about convenience and price. Yep. So why would they have a pricing holiday? Because it's very on brand. That's exactly yes. what you expect from them. So that doesn't yeah. mean your brand needs to have discounts or whatever, mm-hmm. but make it fun. Ideally, the best thing you can do is add really low cogs, aka high margin products that have high perceived value that you yeah. can add on, that you can get bundling. The other thing that I think you can really do with fake holidays that makes it interesting is what do people do in holidays? They gift. And so if you can bring in this gifting vector to your brand, that makes it awesome because you actually get the consumer not to buy. It's mom, dad, sister, brother, what have you. And they're buying for that person to celebrate that person, et cetera, et cetera. It's a celebratory moment. It's fun. It's exciting. So I I think that the economics is such an important piece of that, Chase. And I actually probably should beef that up in the essay. That's a really good call out that but this isn't a sale. We're not saying run yeah. a sale. The reason Amazon runs a sale is because that's what is on brand for them. But yeah. this is about how can you create, again, a, a fake cultural moment, if you will, a fake calendar event to get people really excited and give them a purchasing moment around that. So that's a that's a sensational call out. Well done, yeah. sir. Well, you set the table, bro. Let's go into lost leaders. So another uh, way to create a purchasing moment is a lost leader. These are essentially the whole, it's in the name, right? Like I'm going to take a a small loss up front as a leader to get people in the door and then make money up on the back end. Um, Again, these are as old as time. One of the most famous ones is, you know, buy your, get it packaged, a cell phone plan with AT&T, we'll give you the phone for free. Um, However, they do, like a lot of people don't read the fine print, there is an early termination clause that if you break this agreement and you cancel your plan, you actually have to pay for the phone. So these yep. people are very smart and they hedge yeah. where they're they're just not giving you a free phone. They have this yeah. cooked in LTV. And so a loss leader can be great ways to do that. Uh, so one of the examples we do uh, in the essay is First Form. They're a massive, really, really strong uh, supplement company. They do a lot of awesomeness around supplements. But one of the things they've done is they understand the job to be done of supplements isn't necessarily to make you healthier. It's to it, it's to generate and make a, a prompt in this cohesive lifestyle mm-hmm. that makes you and puts you on your path for mm-hmm. long-term health, long-term longevity, lifestyle change, if you will. So yeah. what do they do? They built an app. You can talk to nutritionists, you can get workout programs, you have an app to track all your progress, et cetera, et cetera. I loved it. I think it's a cr- fantastic loss leader. One of the things that I thought, uh, shout out J-Pan over at Hexclad. I think Hexclad's incredibly well positioned for this where they can do some sort of education vector where, hey, yeah. join us for cooking classes. We can You can take cooking for you know meal prep. You can do yeah. cooking for couples. You can do cooking for the family. You yeah. can do all these different things. You can get certified. You can do all this stuff. And again, none of this is necessarily a sales pitch, but what do you need to cook? You need incredible cookware. So yep. what are you going to do? Oh, by the way, we sell the top tier cookware. So not the sexiest thing in the world, but when done right, it can be just this incredible on-ramp for people that don't believe the story and they need a different story but it's built around this periphery and the job to be done um, that your brand or product is trying to accomplish. And it's a really awesome way to get people into an ecosystem. And again, if you if you structure it in a way of like an education play or something like that, there's these kind of self-fulfilling engagement loops that really start to build brand equity because 
you're giving value to them without asking you for anything. So you're yeah. building reciprocity, you're building trust, you're building yeah. a rapport that is really hard to do or candidly not only impossible to do with ads, it's really expensive to do with ads. And this is, a, in my opinion, a better deployment of capital. What do you pontificate when you see lost leader? Uh, I don't have any notes. I just, uh, my my favorite example of this, I love the first form one. I think it's brilliant on them. It's really good. It's um, it's just, you know, Costco has like two or three of these. They have gas, oh, they, yes. have hot do- they have hot dogs and they have the rotisserie yes. chicken. It's like, okay, yes. someone is going to come where they have like a cheap, huge slice of pizza. Like, dude, you're not just yes. going to go to Costco, go get that chicken and not pick up three other things. It's like, all right, they, they, hit, they had no margin on that thing, but they know that they're going to make it on the back of everything else. Plus, you know, like you said, they have their cards, so they already have kind of this, like, just this, this subscription business revenue. with yeah, a grocery mask, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, um, yeah, I don't have any notes on what you said. It's, it's an incredibly powerful one. I think you have to just make sure that people feel like they're getting more value from you than they're taking, than you're taking. That, that has to be the feeling. Yes, that's so well articulated. And again, this is kind of in that same vein of don't start a lost leader with the business objective of mind. Start a lost leader because you know that you have a great product. You know you can generate value. But what are other on-ramps that I can bring people to that then they can have these different entry points to then purchase the product? Because people don't necessarily have to purchase the product to download this first format. But guess what? You're getting suggestions on what to eat, when to eat, how to supplement, all these things. Oh, and by the way, we sell some of the top supplements in the world. Why don't you just buy Mm -hmm. from us? It's easy, it's convenient, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the goal of it. The goal is, again, to create that engagement flywheel and these these really easy, accessible on-ramps that don't feel invasive. Like you're not going in a showroom with the person's sales pitching you. You're going in a showroom with somebody that is helping you pick out the furniture. Or if you don't want to buy anything, you don't have to buy anything. There's no implicit expectation where um, that's why I think the best lost leaders work out. And candidly, the best lost leaders are essentially IQ tests where it's like, dude, why yeah. am I not going to get the hot dog for a dollar? Like, yeah. Of course I'm, yeah. uh, I'm going to buy this. Of course I'm going to buy like, this. There, there's yeah. no decision making needed. It's it's yeah. an impulse perch. Yeah. Uh, lost leader equals IQ test. That's like the best way yep. to put it as like a TLDR. Man, we're moving and grooving. Okay, I think we got three more. How are you doing on gas over there? Oh, dude, still I got am. it. You, I, the yeah, fro, the fro still looks gassed yeah. up, so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, going to keep I'm, charging. I'm ready to go. So this is obviously something that everybody wants to go after, subscriptions and memberships. Um, yeah. Shout out Triple Well. We're building in the recharge, I think, goes live Thursday or something like that for the subscriptions. A couple things here. One, um, not all of your brands or products are going to be subscription products. There, there's yep. just... The 100%. consumption cycle, the packaging, the, the job to be done, you, you don't necessarily always need to have a subscription. However, there is something to be said about memberships. And so let me, let me pontificate a little bit on subscriptions and then I'll tell you why I like memberships more. So subscriptions are transactional. I pay Chase X amount of dollars. He gives me Y thing every month. Everybody's happy. I give AT&T hundreds of dollars a month. I hate AT&T, but it's a great yeah. business. That's a transactional subscription. Again, nothing wrong with that. However, as a D2C brand, the what you can do is level up and it also gets you out of the pigeonhole of maybe some of my products don't have a natural proclivity to subscriptions yeah. because of the anatomy. 
So what you can do is start a membership. And so at Triple Whale, that was kind of what I was vying for when I was building out the marketing is I wanted to shift us from a subscription to a membership. So instead of just giving us money to get access to all this incredible code, what you Mm. could do is give us money and you get not only access to this incredible code, but you get access to events, you get access to community, Mm. you get access to limited time things, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where I think memberships and subscriptions are different. The the example I use, and I'm, I'm not a big golfer, but it just made sense to me, is that you have a subscription to a driving range, you have a membership to a country club. Yeah. You're going to cancel that transactional subscription to the driving range way sooner than you're going to leave your country club. So That's ideally, no you want no, no emotional either. commitment, yeah. no emotional commitment. Yeah. That's the, the nail on the head. And, and, yeah. and it's almost impossible to generate emotional commitment through a transactional relationship because by definition, there is no emotion. Everything's been, what's going to happen with this emotion? Like there's nothing, no no spillover. Everything's been accounted for. There's no energy surplus or deficit in the system. All the energy has been come to equilibrium where membership, you get all these other value adds where just Mm -hmm. meeting somebody at the country club that then gives you a job or for example, going back to the the experience at Triple Well, dude, there's still now people coming up to me where it's like, man, I met incredible people at your event and this was just a road show or something and now I'm working with them or now I'm scaling this business or now I have a new job and I'm making more money. Like, all this stuff was built off the halo effect of triple well through the party, and that was yeah. it. That's where we stopped. And yeah. so, anyways, too long didn't read the the emotional vector. There is really interesting. Before I throw it over to you, um, four building blocks that I like to think about when I'm building a membership is early or exclusive access to limited edition products. Um, you can also think of like right of first refusal for new product launches where it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you're in the homie. We're about to launch this. Do you want to buy it now? Because if not, it's going to go on sale and probably going to sell out. And or again, those access to limited edition products, um, exclusive access to content. This is just for Chase VIP content. Other people mm-hmm. can't get it. Um, exclusive access or again, right of first refusal to events. Hey, Chase, we're throwing a gala for all of our top users. Do you want to come? This isn't offered to any of our other users, just our top tier users. And then again, a membership to some sort of community, whether that's online, virtual, um, et cetera. So I think those are kind of four nice foundational pieces of what makes an exciting, useful and viable membership model. So one thing that comes to mind with this is like, I feel like Elon smoking weed with Rogan right now. Like, oh man, like what, you know, you start thinking about stuff like essentially if you really do your business right, whether you have a membership model or not, just based on your content distribution and the way that you interact with your customers, they should feel like they're part of something. Right. And so like, think about it. You have an Instagram page. It has 800,000 followers. Well, there are a billion people on Instagram. So that is a small group who has subscribed to be a member of your content cycle. And so making sure that they feel like they have the emotional benefits of what a membership gives them, i.e., I know something that other people don't. Like it's a Simon Sinek when you go into the, uh, when you're in the airport and you have an Apple laptop, all you see is the Apple laptops and you kind of nod to the person because you know yeah. that they know what's up. The and G-Wagon you never way. see anyone with an I, uh, IBM on their lap yes. in, the, uh, in the airport. So I think that's probably my biggest one is just make sure. It's I think that's wonderful. I will push back on one thing. It's hard to have a membership for everyone. A friend to everyone's a friend to no one. And so that's why I think 
it's not a horrible idea to tier your brand. Yeah, but that's almost like the first the first tier of membership is yeah. like interacting with our content, blah blah blah. But I think the emotional aspect is is, is huge, and it's just challenging to make a lot of people feel important because yeah, if a lot of people feel important. The reason no people feel important, important is relative. Yeah, it, like people don't have jealousy; they have envy. And so, if this person's getting it and this person isn't, like, if I'm don't if I don't relate to that person, I really don't care. But if this person's also a customer, it's like, dude, yeah. how do I spend more? So now I am in the chase VIP, or how do I get into this VIP? So there yeah. is that balancing act of like it needs to still feel exclusive and aspirational, um, and that is one of the challenges as you get bigger and bigger memberships or subscriptions or communities. The only way I've seen it work is tiering because yeah. you lose that as you get headcount. Like nobody yeah. wants to be part of a hundred thousand person club. Like it's cool ish, but it's not yeah. the same as like, dude, I'm an exclusive. Um, out of that hundred thousand people, I'm in the top thousand. Like that, that gets into a really interesting no, dude, 100%. part. No, hundred percent. I mean, people want to put that on their people want to put that on their LinkedIn. They want to put it on their profiles. Yes. They want to talk about yes. it. Like it's the the example you have is the Liquid Death Country Club, right? Yeah, like it's, it's just it's just brilliant. Right, because you look at it, there's it's like a ridiculous price, but then you kind of look at the 125k. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is really brilliant about that is like you see all of it, you're like, okay, whatever. But you see like access to all of their events, you're like, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Merch, like that sounds very, yeah, that's very interesting. Will Martha Stewart be at your event? Can we yeah, can, can we hang out with Snoop Dogg? Like what what are we Travis maybe? Yeah, so, with them? Let's go. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So, yeah, I love this one. I think it's it's just making sure that it's emotionally resonant for your customers and like you said, that's the bar. That they feel special. They feel special yep. and it feels special. Yep. That's yeah. the bar. And uh subscriptions are great, memberships are better, and subscriptions you need the anatomy of the product to really fit a subscription. Whereas memberships, you can start to shoehorn products in there where, oh, you get this product every three months, you get this, blah, 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 because you're building up this list of value versus this subscriptions transactional. So that's another reason why I uh, prefer memberships over subscriptions. To be fair, memberships are harder to do because you need to put that thought in it versus, hey, let me just charge you and build this transactional relationship. But now that that, that was huge value adds, man. I love it. Holding. So at this time... I can plug our newsletter. So we are almost out of the gate on the newsy. We'll drop a link in. We're using Beehive. So I hope that uh, is a amenable choice for all of you amazing listeners. So we'll be, I think we're going to settle on at least once a week, possibly two, where we'll do some sort of think piece essay. We'll also be doing a lot of community outreach um, to be able to synthesize a lot of uh, really high level people in the in the community whether that be SaaS or D2C. I think that's kind of where we're ending up is at this confluence of SaaS and D2C. Same, same, but different where Steve Jobs said the magic happens where the sciences and liberal arts intersect. I think there's a lot of magic that happens when you intersect D2C and SaaS. I think SaaS marketers are incredible quants. I think they're awesome at doing incredible analytics and things of that nature. Candidly, I don't think they have a lot of empathy. I don't think they're very creative because they are quants, where D2C marketers are some of the best, most creative, most resourceful marketers I know. And I think we're a really nice balance of the two. And I think you can reach across both sides, whether it's SaaS to D2C or D2C to SaaS, 
to take the wisdom of both both areas and really combine them into this marketing superhuman that can then really generate the returns and the innovation and the excitement around your brand and product. And that's ultimately what we want to do here at Growth Fall is give you the opportunity to be your best you and to grow into the business brand agency that you want to be. Yes. And then he's back. I apologize. No, the diatribe worked. So we are on to number seven, bro. Events. You are crushing through. You are God. We're getting it done. We're crushing through. Yeah. uh, Events are incredible. There's a few things though here with events. Um, As Chase has pontificated quite brilliantly, events are or can be really economic black holes. So you (laughs) really got to make sure that the economics net out. And candidly, that's why you don't see a lot of D2C events because the economics just don't make sense to host this event versus SaaS economics. We have a lot more margin, a lot more LTV to play with, Mm -hmm. hence why you see a lot more events in the SaaS space. With that being said, that shouldn't shy you away from events. You don't need to do them at this astronomical scale. Again, you can going back to the previous purchasing moment, you can build them into some semblance of a membership to keep it limited edition, to keep it truncated and to keep your highest spending users spending more money with you or consumers spending more Mm -hmm. money with you. The one that's nearest and dearest to my heart, obviously it's SaaS, but uh, it was just so impactful on the business was the Whaley's. The Whaley's, for people that don't know, um, we threw a two-day event called the Whaley's. Uh, we dubbed it the Oscars for D2C. We gave away eight awards. We did a really awesome job in what I call the three-phase cycle. You essentially have a pre, during, post-phase of an event. So for the pre-phase, one of the reasons that we landed on a, a contest or an award show, if you will, is one, we get to congratulate people for being awesome. Two, people love to talk about themselves. Three, we <laughs> built in these kind of hype cycles yeah. implicitly in it where we had a nomination cycle, right? Everybody wants to nominate things. Okay, cool. Now that the people are nominated, all the nominees are pounding the drum and the the advocates of these nominees are then pounding the drum to get votes. And then Obviously, people want to know who won, so you want to come to the event. It's obviously better to see in person than it is online. We did stream it all live, which was really cool. But the two, and then we threw. uh, Obviously, we rented out one of the best restaurants in Austin called Lambert's, um, and then we had a black tie optional gala as well to celebrate everything. Yeah, that's definitely on the higher end of what an event will do. It was expensive. It wasn't incredibly egregious out of pocket for us, but we did have some sponsors. That's a whole nother bag that we won't go into on this podcast. We can talk about sponsors. Sponsors are great because they subsidize, but depending on the sponsor you get, it can be this just marriage in hell. We did not have that. We had great sponsors, but very both of us are very good friends with Nick Shack, and he can tell you some very unique stories about um, sponsorships gone awry sometimes. Um, after running Geek Out for so many years. One of the cooler events that I saw that's also in this uh, essay is uh, Lululemon. They did a really oh, cool. awesome pop-up where uh, I believe I was actually was out in your neck of the woods over yeah. in either San Diego or in LA in Redondo, I believe. I can't remember exactly, but they were basically just running this trade-in pop-up where you could come in, try some of their clothes. You get this really, uh, you bring in kind of your old tights and you can trade them in for some Lulu tights essentially a trade-in program. This massive event pop-up went really well for them. There's also something hidden in there with the financials where 
you don't want really inventory on your books. Marketing costs are more amenable. Um, mm-hmm. So they got to shift a lot of that inventory into a marketing cost, which is yeah. a little bit of uh, financial fuckery, but good on them. Yeah. Incredible, <laughs> incredible business. Um, another one that I would really love to see, and I've told them about it, and I, I think they're come at on, the run right now. That Yeah, come on, Chris. Let's make it happen. I, I told them, dude, honestly, they just need to build a compound. Like yeah. if you go out in Texas, you throw like a ticket at it, dude, you can have a beautiful compound, shoot yeah. everything there. They have tons of celebrity hookups. Yeah. But anyways, for people that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Chris Hall, the e-com cowboy, one of just the most amazing humans. You know, he's a two-time national championship, yeah, all conference and all American. Yeah, he's a hog, dude. That's, he's like, my, that's, that's my brother. Insane. At yeah, UT. Dude. Yeah, that's in, like this is not some podunk D three school or something. This no, is no, no, one of the most like storied programs proper, in the country. Like and bro, yeah, he was there when they were a proper program too. They were pro- with Mac Brown, area, like yeah, really legit. Like yeah, yeah Vince Young. Uh, anyways, a two line didn't read incredible stuff there. Um, so he runs a uh, the marketing for a company called Bruce Bolt, and they make these just in, in, in incredible batting gloves. But the majority of their users are kind of, um, I don't know what the Pop Warner equivalent is, but it's essentially like these lower level people that are wanting to aspire to the major leagues, but not in the major leagues. They do yeah, have like travel baseball, um, air, yeah. travel baseball. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. AAU for baseball yeah. kind of thing. Exactly. And so, um, they have just this rabid community. Um, I won't go into the, the founding story, but it's actually, uh, it's really cool. So look them up. Anyways, the too long didn't read there is I think they could do an awesome annual event where they have a home run derby and they just bring so everybody, sweet. they send it. They have these amazing connects with Aaron Judge and all these really top tier um, actual proper MLBers. Um, but they also have a huge community on TikTok of guys that like never really made it, but just love to hit yeah. home runs and all these yeah. things. It's almost akin to that that driver contest for golf, right? Like yeah. it's meaningless, but it's so fun. Who doesn't oh, want to just hit a bunch of stuff yeah, out of dude. the park, come enjoy some adult cocktails and just uh, vibe. And by the by the way, you're hitting with Bruce Bolts the whole time. So I think yeah. that is a no-brainer for a brand of that nature, of that caliber at the run rate it's approaching. I think the economics start to make sense as well. But yeah, so events, that's uh, economics. Make sure, again, that these events aren't really built uh, for a business objective, but essentially to build brand engagement, create some engagement loops, and then uh, uh, build a really awesome emotional connection. Definitely have something Ooh. to sell there is really nice. Like Again, the SaaS was a little bit different, but we saw the Whaley's was the best marketing spend we had actually through my whole tenure. Now that I think about it, through last year and this year, it was just an absolute... I mean, we, we owned the news cycle for essentially a month and a half, yeah. which was yeah. which was absolute bananas, bananas insanity, yeah. especially for the the amount of capital we spent on it, which was yeah. basically nothing compared to what we were spending on um, paid ads. But yeah. events, awesome. Try it if you are worried about the economics. Maybe explore a membership model that you can then fold it in because not only can you build it into the membership model, you don't necessarily have to give it away to them for free. They mm-hmm. just get that right of first refusal, or that exclusivity to it, and then you with yeah. a discount or, or just build in that yeah. pricing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't really they won't be too butthurt about it where um you can do that but events can be an incredible purchasing moment when done well just be cognizant they do get pricey we actually i think the the cmo download chase's little uh group of a bunch of killers and SaaS is actually talking about events and demos on the next one but you can definitely do virtual events i don't really hate virtual events the only thing about virtual events is i again have another kind of uh I don't want to say dogma, but when I say dogma or when I say belief, I think of dogma. So I have another, I guess, thesis that 
people have to know you like you trust you before they mm. transact with you. And mm. the fastest way to get all three of those done is in person. Yeah. Um, yeah so 100%. with that being said, virtual events can be fun. They can be great, but they don't hit the same as a in-person event. Again, though, if you don't have the economics to do it, don't do it. Try a virtual event or figure out ways to build it into other aspects of your brand that then you can do that. Or again, you can kind of, depending on if you hit certain targets, have one big blowout event that you you do to celebrate your customers if the, yeah. the economics make sense. So I'll give you three things. I don't even know if it's three things. I just said it. One of the big ones that no one talks about very often is the amount of times it takes a customer to actually interact with you for them to become a paying customer. So like a prospect versus a customer. So why does an event matter? Well, how quickly does it move them down the funnel, if you will, right? Like the the velocity with which it pushes them from top to bottom is incredibly quick or from middle to bottom, right? So like what if you could take the event and it pushes them to middle so you only have half the amount of time and as you aggregate that across 1,000 people, 500 people, whatever, Second, like, it's that. So that's kind of my, my big one is I think we put a lot of KPI constraints on events without understanding the brand halo effect and how much it pushes people down the funnel and says, okay, instead of these eight different times you needed to interact with me to get middle of funnel, you now got it with one thing. And by the way, how many people came to the way at least? Like 400, 300? Yeah, it was a uh, give or take. Yeah, it was a okay. lot. However, how many people interacted with the content from the whaleys that pushed them down, right? We, millions. We, millions we of impressions. had people come out of the woodwork taking demos because they heard about the whaleys. We had exactly. competitor, big flagship competitors or like big flagship clients for competitors reach out to us because of the whaleys. I mean, there, yeah, there's yeah. something... One of the things that can't be understated, throwing the coolest party and having tickets to the coolest party is absolutely a marketer's dream. And and so if you have the ability to do that, it behooves you to figure out a way to make that work. And we're talking a little bit in SaaS terms right now, but for you guys, what what you can think of it if you're in the D2C side of things is the impact that you can make on somebody's life in such a short amount of time can make a customer for life. Yeah. And so that LTV will be through the roof and it'll also give you a ton of leadway. If there are some hiccups within that brand relationship, they're yep. going to give you way more grace than yep. not. But to your yeah. point, Chase, the like, you know, you trust you, that funnel can get just accelerated through the roof. And there is so many times where I was at the Whaley's or at certain Tripwell events where people just want to talk to me. And once I talk to them, they're like, yeah, I'm already sold. I just want to make sure you guys were legit. Yeah. I'm gonna oh, go. Dude. I'm gonna sign up for the demo. Or I'm gonna sign up, and like I'm sure you've had the exact same experience at events. And so text you like, hey, I got your events. number. Like da da da. I'm like, yeah, man. Like we got you, and they sign up the- 30 minutes later. Right? You see it pop through in your Slack, and you're like, all right, like that's how it goes. I would. The other portion about events that's really powerful that you touched on, and I'm just going to be very uh, KPI specific on this, is the word of mouth that it generates long term. And like from the customers that come from the event or the people that go through the event, they're going to be talking about it for a long time. It will go if someone speaks at the event or they win a whale, it will be on their LinkedIn or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like it just, it's kind of when you have a LinkedIn post or something, this happens more with LinkedIn posts, frankly, than Twitter posts, strangely. But Three months later, someone will like it. You're like, what? Where did this come from? You'll write an essay and it will just, someone will DM you. Man, your essay was incredible. Like this stuff, 
no matter what you think, oh, it's just this event. If you build stuff around it that can live forever, if you will, it will live forever. And so yep. it's just, if you're going to do events, make sure that it feels unique, that people want to talk about it, that people want to share it. It's not just a, hey, come hang out. Like that's not, that's good, but it's not great. And if you're going to throw an event, it needs to be great. That's yes. really what it comes down to. Very well said. And just to hammer that point home as well is the best events have embedded engagement loops within them. Dude. And so that's, again, why we landed on an award show. Like, it was just so easy. It was a no-brainer because everybody's going to, again, the nominations, the voting, th there was all these participatory activities that were outside of attending it. Uh, there was all these ways that people can, this is going to sound terrible, but narcissism is a hell of a drug. And so oh, if you yeah. can, you know, graciously cater to people's narcissism, it's a, that's why I think the home run derby is amazing where it's like, dude, who doesn't want to either A, hit home runs or B, look at the home runs being no hit. Contest? You could have like, actual like MLBers yeah. versus non-professionals. You know, there, there's all these cool things that you can do on top of all that. Your media team is getting so much ammunition to drop out for the next two or three weeks. So I, 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 you just hit it on the head and it just, just reinvigorated me. I, I think that's, that's so spot on. And again, think of those, if you take away anything from events, obviously the economics need to be there. If they're not there, scrap it. The second thing is like Chase says, they have to be absolutely incredible and special. If not, it's actually going to be a net negative, not only yep. because you're going to pay a bunch of money, but people are going to like, nobody likes a shitty party and you usually only get <laughs> yeah. one of those. Like you're yeah. like, dude, I, yeah. I went to Rob's party and they're they're playing Celine Dion. Like yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to rage at Celine Dion. Yeah. Right? So make sure you, you nail that. Make sure you try and embed as many engagement loops as possible, and also give people that can't come away to engage mm -hmm. with it as well. And then um, the last thing is really be cognizant of that pre, during, post phase where mm -hmm. you want to get as much bang out of this buck for the event. Maybe the event's only one day. You can string that out to a 30-day kind yeah. of a hype cycle that you can build things around. So um, yeah. really, really good stuff there. Okay. I know we've been kind of going on long. This is a longer essay, but we got one more and then we'll wrap up for you guys. So this one is also uh, near and dear to my heart. We did a lot of these at Triple Whale. Um, these are just brand collabs. Um, so brand collabs can be easy peasy. Uh, essentially, you're just either both figuring out ways to think of it almost like a Venn diagram. There's probably going to mm -hmm. be some semblance of overlap with your customers. Yeah. But yeah. ideally, you guys are both accessing each side of their Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, usually it's a marriage of product and personality and reach are kind of the three things I think of with, uh, or successful collabs at least somebody mm -hmm. brings some semblance of product expertise. Somebody brings some semblance of reach. And then there's a blend of personalities that makes these really awesome collabs yeah. come to life. Again, like I actually did my top 10 collabs. Well, it'll be in the essay. We can put it into the show notes as well. But one of the best ones, I, you know, I, I hate to hammer the liquid death drum to death. Uh, see what I did there? Uh, <laughs> but one of the, my favorite collabs of all time was Liquid Death and Martha Stewart and oh, the yeah, uh, chopped off hand candle. Not only that, they timed it right before Halloween. Not in the Halloween yeah. craziness, but yeah. right before the Halloween things kicked up, which was just, I thought, chef's kiss. Um, yeah. They're just the best. Um, they also did a really cool uh, Nixon clock. I actually have yeah. the, the wristwatch, uh, the Nixon death clock in my bedroom watch thing. So, um, But yeah, brand collabs can be incredibly impactful, really awesome. And as a, a, a D2C brand, it gives you, again, an opening into 
prospective new customers that haven't probably known about your brand that now get access to your brand in a really awesome, meaningful way. Love, love, love brand collabs. They definitely a little harder to do. We would shoot, we, when I was at Triple, we'd shoot to do one a quarter. I think that's candidly a lot. Uh, for us, it worked out just because we were working with all these incredible D2C people that it was just a re- great way to mm-hmm. highlight incredible yeah. um, D2C brands. Uh, we made pickleball paddles. We did one with Jambies, um, which were incredible. I actually ended up getting their Jambies boxers because the Jambie pants were so incredible. They're, they're yeah. It's like little Dude, micro massagers. Product on ramp, right? We're talking about that. Bringing it back to earlier. Exactly. Bingo, yeah, bingo, bingo. And candidly, yeah. I had never heard of Jambies. That was actually yeah. um, Alexa was like, "Hey, this is a really awesome brand that makes incredible things." They're like, oh, we should collab with them. So, too long didn't read collabs. Product reach, personality. Make sure that everything aligns and um, they can be credible. And they they are resource intensive. They usually take a while because you are making some sort of limited edition run product. Yeah. Um, so keep that in mind. But um, I love them. Yeah. So do you look at like say you and I? So pencil and triple whale did a an essay together. Is that a brand collab yeah. in your mind as well? No. Okay. So like there, there needs to be some always product. have to be a resource. Oh, so there needs, needs to be, be some, some product, product output, some product output. Other okay. than that, you're just kind of partnering or co-branding or there okay, has to be so some product output. Right? That, for me, okay, that, so that, that's how that's how I see it. There's a baby made with the brands. There's some okay, output that's, that's from the intersection of the brands. Okay, that's a perfect yeah. delineation. Something that brings them together and is is more, is amplified, essentially. Rather than like, like you said, it's like partnering is different than collabs. I mean, yes, partnering is different than collapse for me. Yeah, 100%. Okay. So like yeah. in a way, the Airbnb Barbie partnership, or it was yeah. more of a partnership than a collab, but at the same time, yeah. Airbnb's product is facilitating bookings and they're yeah. facilitating this booking. So it, it, that's a little bit of a tweener for me. Yeah. I'd still yeah. call it a collab be, because yeah. it's taking product, personality, and reach. Barbie yeah. has the reach. Barbie has the personality. Airbnb has the product. You throw all three of those together, you get to be able to rent the Barbie house on one of the most popular um, apps on the planet. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. On, I agree on all of this. I think um, the most interesting thing you said out of that was essentially like understanding the intersection of the Venn diagram, and that, and the product outcome has to be really, really like feel like it's going to cut through for your audience yeah. and theirs. And so I think yes. the big one is just understanding, I'm going to get very Sarah Levenger here, the psychographics of their customer and how much you will cut through for them and vice versa so that you can make sure that it's not one of those DOA things, right? Because it can be dead on arrival, man. There are plenty of collabs that have been DOA because no one actually thought about how people were going to receive the the product that was created by the two brands uh, working together on a collab. Yes, 100%. And the other thing that I would also say is it doesn't necessarily need to be an absolute dollar for dollar type of engagement where you can get yeah. this like, like Martha Stewart I'm sure Martha Stewart got a nut but the resurgence of Martha Stewart and the brand reach and the brand awareness of Martha Stewart doing this liquid death thing it was incredible and so yes I'm sure she got some yeah. some kickbacks in terms of the sauce to be able to use her name on the candle and so that's another thing that I would just keep in mind is like it's not necessarily about both brands making mm. a bunch of money off the product but it's about again infusing your personality 
capitalizing on reach and understanding to like what you talked about, Chase, giving these people different on ramps and bringing them some mm-hmm. different brand awareness to things that they possibly never would have talked about. But it's yeah. another way to think about it is it's a friend recommendation. I am friends with this yeah. brand and this brand is saying Chase is awesome. You should fuck with Chase. And then boom, yeah. you have this kind of implicit recommendation. And again, it's not yeah. that you necessarily need to start buying, but to your point, I, I just spent $200 with Jambies and we did a collab with them almost a yeah. year ago. You know what I'm saying? That's and true. that was a collab trust, that didn't come out of my... Exactly. Yeah. Trust. Yeah, dude. 100%. So one thing that's really interesting, I'm like th- playing back everything that we've said and I know we'll, we'll go to the... um. We'll go to the like the closing stuff coming up. But underneath every single one of these, we essentially said, like, understand that economics aren't the only thing that matters. And yeah. it's a really hard one, essentially, for marketers, especially younger marketers, to be able to make the case for stuff yes. that doesn't have an economic impact right away. And so this is yes. one of the ones where I maybe want to spend like two minutes on this together on... If you're saying, hey, I want to do all of these things that aren't going to have a direct economic impact, what does it mean? Like, how should they be telling this story to the people that are going to unlock these budgets for them? Beautiful question. So rounding back to almost the life or time is a flat circle. So let's go back to the beginning. (laughs) Not every brand needs to use all eight of these. Not every brand needs to use these multiple times. What these are, are strategies to smooth your revenue curve. If you have a ton of variability in your revenue curve, you can sit down and plan out your quarters. And then what you do is you go to your boss and you say, hey, here's areas that we have really weak demand. When you have weak demand, there's ways I listened on the growth vault from these two brilliant, great looking guys, only one single, but uh, unfortunately it's the guy with the worst hair, but hey, I can't, not everybody can have glorious froze like you. And so that's the pitch, right? Is like, yeah. here it is. Here's a calendar of events. Here's ways that I think I can pull these valleys up to be more mm. profitable, higher mm. velocity, more sales that will then ideally increase the height of our peaks because now we have more people in the system Ooh. that weren't in there before. And Ways yes, before. again, all these are going to have economics attached to them. But at the end of the day, you need to hit your yearly numbers. You need to hit your annual yeah. projections. What are your annual projections of? They're made up of quarters. What are those quarters? They're made up of months. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. How are we going to get there? And so it's a yeah. series of compounding explosions. And where do I want to plant those explosives? Well, if I have a Black Friday, Cyber Monday, why do I want to put any explosions on that? That's a yeah, nuclear yeah. bomb already shot out Oppenheimer. Yeah. So I don't need yeah. to touch that. That's a huge peak already, but I can make the peak higher if I put more TNT in that bomb, AKA more prospects. And so if I can go to my boss and say, Hey, here's my annual plan. This is when we should throw an event. That event is actually attached to a membership that we can now offer. That's going to drive an increase of X, Y, and Z. And so again, everything, when you talk to your boss comes back to the economics, everything in the planning should start with, or at least in the marketing department, should start with, it should be value generative to the customer, it should be sincere, and it should mm. be genuine. If they're not those three things, you're not a marketer, you're a salesman, nothing wrong with that, but you're in yeah. the wrong department, go hit quotas, don't worry about making annual plans on how do I'm yeah. going to increase my revenue. Yeah, man. I think it's such a it's, a, it's a really important delineation, right? So my kind of, I don't know, plus one on that is um, if you have any sort of like, 
like a year worth of finances. So you can kind of see those peaks and valleys that Robo was talking about. You then understand where seasonality hits, where kind of the rough patches are, and you can start forecasting. And so I think the big one is every single person, no matter who they are, what they are, what what background they come from, even if it's a branding person and they, if they're the CEO of the company, their job is essentially to manage the finances. Like no matter what we say, it's like, how do I manage this in the most effective way so that our finances allow us to make more money so that then we can reinvest that finances so we can make more money and keep scaling and keep scaling and keep scaling. New headcount so we can ship more product, blah, blah, blah. So the idea is, understand what Rob said. You have an annual target. Yes, you have quarterly and monthly and all that kind of stuff. But if you come back and you say, look, I know we're going to take a haircut on this month, but essentially in this hot season, we're going to three exit. It's like, well, if we three exit this hot season, like we make our numbers in one quarter, in like one month for the entire year. It's like, yeah, I know. That's why we're essentially just flooding the MQLs or, you know, SQLs, whatever, whatever the fuck. And so I think the big one is just be able to forecast when that demand is going to hit. And then in those, like, essentially the prime day version, where do you need to start hitting and putting that TNT? This is an incredible example or incredible uh, analogy. Where do you put that TNT to make sure that your forecast feels meaningful? Because people are going to want to see numbers, but your numbers can essentially just be a brand plan, right? Or like whatever you want want it to be, if it's going to lead to the number that you need to be at at the end of the year. And track that really rigorously, 100% track it, but just know why you're doing everything you're doing. Don't be so, how do I say this right? Don't be so cavalier about the way that you're yes. presenting these things. Like it needs to back into certain to certain numbers and forecasts so that your your executives are going to allow you to move with the nimbleness that you need to to have some impact. Nobody in leadership cares about brand. No. What people no, no. in leadership care about are the outputs of brand. Yeah. And so you keep your discussions about brand with your team. Everything that you show to your leadership or when you're pitching these proposals is all about here's where we were, here's where we are, here's where we're going. And this is how we're going to get there. These are the bets that I want to make. This is why I want to make these bets. And these are the outputs that will come from these bets from my assumptions that I've laid out to you. If they don't like it, that's their prerogative. And you go back to the drawing board. But the original question was, how do you sell all these fun events? It's always, again, we've been saying, don't worry about business objective, blah, blah. Everything when you talk to your leaders is about business objectives. Yeah. But what you make your money from is understanding that those business objectives are functions of other things. Yeah. And I understand these other things can then drive forward these business objectives. And that's why you make your money. That's why you're yeah. creative. That's why you're a brand person. That's why you're yeah. a marketer is yeah. that you understand that intersection again. Yeah. And so being able to create that comprehensive plan and say, hey, we had weak demand here. We had weak demand there. Why don't we throw an event? Why don't we launch a membership? Oh, you're launching two or three products this year. When are you launching those products? Oh, great. Well, we should actually launch them here, here, and here because that will give us the most impact on the business to get us closest to our projections for this year because yeah. we have weak demand in those areas and product launches are incredible to drive demand because yeah. they give people a purchasing moment. Yeah, 100%. Let's go to the close. So, guys, if you're not bored of us now, and you stu- stuck Jeez, around. This, you is a, this, is a this is like, uh, no, th- dude, this is our magnum opus episode. We said we we're going to get to, because we, guys, we haven't recorded in a few weeks. So we're like, this is a lot of pent up energy that, uh, the lost episode has been avenged. Dude, absolutely has been avenged. So, 
We have our our product experience. So one thing, I think our next episode is actually going to be about uh, the luxury versus premium paradox in experience. Yes. So we'll talk about that later. We talked a little bit about Shopify editions. I mean, that was something you were super interested in. So like, I love the example you had about Buckshot. I think it's such yep. a smart one where it's like, we're just going to shoot a bunch of these things out and people are going to pick on to those things. But because they've created this event for all Shopify store owners, like they're more, they're leaning in more, if you will, yes. to what's happening. So what do you think about that? I think it's brilliant. I think candidly, Apple did the the best where Apple would have WWDC and that's where they would launch all these yeah. incredible things for the future. Mm-hmm. So I thought they set the table there and then they ended up killing the keynote because the produced ones are just so high level. They're so good. Yeah. Um, and so Shopify kind of had the same, same, but different where they did a bit of a keynote. They, they do all these things They introduce everything. I love it. I think they nailed it. Again, I think Airbnb did the same thing and they nailed it. I think it's a great way for people to, again, get their head around the macro concepts of this company Mm. is fun, it's fast, shipping, and then they can pick and choose kind of from the buffet what they want to eat, how deep they want to go, why it's meaningful to their product. Um, I thought the design was sensational. I thought Toby's video was great. Harley obviously just does the, the best job ever pumping things out. And that's also something we should talk about is what makes a great brand because I have some some thoughts and I think there's some yeah. key inputs to that. But yeah, I, I would give them a, a 10 out of 10. I would definitely, um, Chef's Reactions, um, shout out, 10 out of 10, definitely would eat it. All right. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on board. Uh, same thing. I love how they do. I love how they do their business. And um, I think best thing you can do is make people feel like there's something that they need to pay attention to. And so Shopify has done that where they make people feel like they have to pay attention. So 100% love what they did there. And it's Shopify is again in that uh, SaaS slash CPG style of marketing where they just need to be omnipresent. Yeah. And we talked about this when um, we were listening to, uh, I believe it's an Invest Like the Best episode where Shopify doesn't necessarily care that much about logo churn. Like they kind of do. Logo yeah. means clients, like literally yeah. the logo. Yeah. But if they can win the entrepreneur and they close down their shoe store, but then the next store they open up is also on Shopify, that's not necessarily, I mean, it's a net dollar churn, but it's not necessarily like it's a, it's technically a logo churn, but at the same time, they keep the entrepreneur. And I think that's one thing that Shopify does incredibly well, where what are you going to, this is something that we should probably talk about in another podcast where the ultimate is having a verb. And so having a tweet, and you killed that, which is kind of something, or you Google. And so that was an interesting brand move there. But Shopify is as close to having a verb where they are the default solution for if somebody, even if somebody's not technical. Yeah. If they want to start an e-commerce store, if you ask 99, 100 people on the street, hey, if you start an e-commerce store today, what would it be on? Shopify would be 99 answers out of a hundred. And I think that just speaks to, um, you can't have a great brand without an amazing product, but you can have an amazing product without a really blockbuster brand. Again, product is a big part of that brand. So you'll implicitly have a pretty good brand, but you you can kind of be under the radar in a lot of ways. And Shopify is not that they, and the stock market agrees as well. It's, it's, it's been screaming so far this year. So uh, kudos on uh, to Charlie or Charlie Harley, um, Toby and the team over there. Cause I, I, I think it's to be that big and still produce the level of connectivity and to your point, like the cool kids on the block still like 
I, like I see Clavio as this big behemoth. They're getting kind of crusty. They're getting kind of close to the IPO. Like I feel like Clavio candidly has lost some of its, its cool kid shine For luster. Sure. Like Jimmy at Sendline is doing some incredible things. Whereas Shopify, but I, I don't see anywhere in a country mile, anybody coming close to what they're doing. And Another thing that, and I'll throw it back to you to end it, is brand can be a moat. And that's what you'll see when we talk about luxury and premium products, where that's essentially what luxury products are. They are really awesome premium products around a moat of of brand. Yeah, I couldn't... no notes, as Pharrell would say, uh, yeah. to Shopify. They, their additions crushed it. I thought, again, design, implementation, execution. What yeah. they shipped, too, was really incredible. And yeah. uh, uh, one more thing, actually, on this, I just thought of it, is a lot of people were mad about them coming into the subscription space or the bundling space, et cetera, et cetera. One, that's just the nature of the beast when you own an app ecosystem for the OGs out there, they'll understand what Sherlock means. Like Apple Sherlock's apps all the time where they yeah. find a, a thing that they can do. However, what Toby had a really great remark on is they're just ba- building basic functionality. And so for people that aren't really there yeah. yet, use the Shopify app. Once you start to get more sophisticated, then move into a paid yeah. app that's an actually a SaaS service. So I thought that was a beautiful I don't want to say deflection, but understanding of how they're thinking of building the roadmap. And they're not sure. really... Obviously, they want to increase their take rate, but it's not necessarily the end game. The end game is to have ownership of the ecosystem. And if developers leave the ecosystem, then things yeah. get crazy. But to be fair, there's a catch-22 there where if you have the coolest party, that's where the developers are. And that that was the biggest yeah, challenge with Microsoft, with all these things. Once everybody left... For Apple, it was just, I mean, Android is, I think, five or seven times bigger than the app ecosystem. And the Apple store makes, I think, five or six times more revenue than the actual Android store. So the developers are always going to go to where the people are and where the money is. And that's the big beast out of Ottawa. Yeah, Yeah, I would just call it uh, like the last little bit on that is essentially you can't be mad at someone for seeing something that's working. And leaning into that because they literally have a fiduciary responsibility to be as big and powerful as possible. Correct. And if they don't have to pay or take like, because they have a take rate on every app. What if you could not have the take rate and just have customers subscribe to it or be more invested in being with you? Like it, Correct. they have to do it. So I don't, I think the, first of all, Toby completely Heisman them, right? Like just, oh yeah, perfect perfect response. I don't I think, think it was even a Heisman, though. Better. It was more of like a handshake and here's a beer. Yeah. Like, I think yeah, that exactly. was that's what was so yeah. beautiful about yeah. it. Was it right. what he wasn't combative or shitting on them? He was like, no, dude, no. we're here with everybody. Have a drink with me. This is what's going on. This is how we're thinking. We're not trying to put anybody out of business. I, I, I thought yeah. it was just, just perfect. That's brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Growth nugget of the week. That which doesn't get measured doesn't get done. And so Ooh. this is like dates. This is uh, metrics, whatever you want to whatever you want to do and talk about. So have you ever done like a product release or something where you're like kind of nebulous about the dates with which every single... You've been people- burnt on some product releases. This trauma has come up like four or five times on no, the, no, the pod. I it's love it. It's because of me. Like it's my fault. But also when I worked for other people, I didn't push on hard enough. I'm like, oh, we'll figure it out. Like we're, we're smart people. Okay. But it's like, yeah. you set a date, no matter what, we're, we're doing these things at this date, right? And it's, I think this is a big one. The other one is, even if you, for instance, like, I'll just even go back to like the idea of losing weight. 
So if you don't set a target and then measure every day, you're kind of just be like, oh, wishy-washy, oh, I don't need to work out, oh, yeah. I don't need to be like focused on my, diet's the wrong word, but just my health, right? Yeah. Taking care of myself, eating the right stuff. And then, you know, a week later goes by, you weigh yourself, you're like, bro, like, I thought I was yeah. on it. What's going on? Yeah. But those days when you measure rigorously, first, you get a certain sense of like, oh, okay, anticipation. How did I do? What's the, what do the numbers yes. say? And so it's a little antithetical to some of the stuff that we're saying uh, about, about brand and product, you know, all of these purchasing moments. But like at the end of the day, purchasing moments are dollars and conversion rates, right? So yes. or wh- whatever the currency is, it's conversion rates, right? It's like how many people came, how many people converted, how can we make that number better by being better at all of the different types of purchasing moments that we went yes. through on here. So that which for me, that which doesn't get measured, doesn't get done is kind of my thing I was thinking about a lot this week. Absolutely love it. And I'll add one corollary to that because I think it's a fantastic um, thing is constraints generate creativity. Yes, and so sir. when you put those constraints, there's there's no wiggle room, there's no this. And I think there's a psychological tick of when I do that, it's real, I'm committed and I can fail. When you don't yeah. have the threat of failure, and again, there's nothing wrong with failure, but when you don't have that threat of failure, you don't have that dog in you where it's like, I don't want to fail, so I'm going to figure out <laughs> yeah. how to do stuff yeah. because you just... Dude, shit's 100%. always going to come up. Nothing goes perfect. And yeah. so having that, yeah. those constraints, I, I love that, man. Measure, manage what you, me- or yeah, you, yeah, you manage what you measure kind of shit. Yeah. Um, but 100%. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful nugget. And yeah. for anybody that made it this long through that. Oh, God yeah, bless you. you. Yeah, yeah, bless yeah. You. Bless you. Bless you. Rob, you want to take us home, man? Yeah. So we are both on the Twitters at Robert Ray Hill at, what are you, Seema Shenny? How do you, what do you, I am, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Chase Moseni. Okay. Yeah. Moseni. Yeah. Yeah. Chase, yeah. Chase Moseni. Uh, we're both on the mentor pass. I love mentor pass, but I very rarely, I miss all the emails. Um, so you have probably better chance to get my beautiful Persian brother on the line. Kenny actually just moved in my building. So I hope yeah. you didn't hear this on the podcast. I love you, Kenny. I'm sorry. I will always start taking my bookings. What else we got? But the newsy coming up, we'll drop that, uh, newsletter link in the bio. Um, definitely do that. And then I think the last thing is rate us, subscribe, do all the cool stuff. Uh, I think the YouTube is in route. Um, yes. I think it's some last time I checked the tracking, I think it's somewhere in Utah. So it's almost, it's yeah. almost yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it should be delivered Provo. fairly soon. Yeah. So Provo, we'll yeah. get that up as well. And then any other topics that you guys want to, uh, us to jam about pontificate on. Um, and we're also throwing around maybe, uh, once or twice a month, we'll bring on a guest and just have, a a nice little uh, triple-headed Hydra monster of just chatting awesomeness and talk to some of these um, awesome brand leaders. Because I know a lot of people in the CMO download that uh, little exclusive tight-knit group that you've been hosting. There's a lot of killers on there that I'd yeah. love to throw questions at them and see how 100%. they respond because I'm always trying to sharpen that saw. And like Chase said, I think intentionality is a really powerful tool and uh, this is something that he was talking to me offline with his uh, endless wisdom is uh, happiness is the rate of change. And so figure out ways to make yourself better and success doesn't strike. Success compounds. And that's from yeah. a great book called How to, How to Fly a Horse, which is also a phenomenal read. But just understand if you can win your morning, you can win your day. If you can win your day, you can win your week. If you can win your week, you can win your month. And months are quarters and quarters are years. And then all of a sudden it happens slower than you think and then faster than you think. So yep. don't get caught up in the day-to-day change. Just get up in the day, get caught up in the day-to-day intentionality. And so 
I love all you wonderful humans. Thank you for listening to us, Chase. Thank you're you, the only guy on the planet that I'd want to do a 17 hour podcast with. <laughs> in about like 10 minutes. Dude, what was uh, what, what's the guy who does the uh, really long podcast that we all Lex Friedman? This was a Lex Friedman episode. Lex Friedman, sure. Hardcore yeah. History, Dan Carlin. Yeah. We got yeah. we, there. There's some long form out yeah. there. What, what yeah. we we're bringing back the king form. Yeah, no, no more exactly. no more long form king form yeah, we're gonna try king, and insert something into yeah, the yeah. common the commons vernacular but yeah you're the best man i really appreciate all that thank you all for listening and we'll see you guys next week Bye-bye. yeah Bye.